from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. All right. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And as you turn there, um, we haven't really spoken about the um, structure of, of John. Um, when you come to a book of the Bible, you, you look for structure. You, you want to see uh, what is there. You know, how can we um, kind of divide up the book of John? Um, is, is there some themes or some things that are found throughout? Can we just kind of outline John or, or the book of the Bible um, so that we can understand what John is saying more clearly or whatever book that we're, we're currently in? And, and the answer to that is yes. One of the great things about John is it is one of the easier books of the Bible to kind of go and to outline and to break up. And this morning, I just want to kind of let you know about that just a bit, because uh, it will help us kind of understand what John is doing here. And one of the things as we've studied through John, John is a really unique book in several ways. And so I want to kind of come at you and say, here are all the ways that John is unique. And I've, I've kind of resisted that, so I want to, I'll be sprinkling that in as we go through. But one of the ways that John is unique is that it breaks down to a very clear structure. And the first 18 verses in John 1 is typically called just the prologue. It's very different, as you are seeing, from the rest of the book of John. John 1.19, all the way down to 12.50, is generally called the book of signs. It is Jesus' ministry, it is his working, and in that there are going to be several signs, seven specifically, that John is going to call our attention to. Beginning in John 13, verse 1, all the way to the end, it's called the book of glory because one of the things that is unique about John is from John 13 all the way to the end, it's, it's the Passion Week, right? So those eight chapters of John really are only covering one week, and that is the final week before his crucifixion. And then it's got an epilogue at the end, uh, chapter 21, where we actually started. So when we come to the prologue, what John is doing is laying the foundational work of what he is going to expand on through the rest of his gospel. And one of the ways that he is doing that is he is at this very beginning, he is extending our understanding of who Jesus is. He's stretching out. He's not going into great detail on what it all means, but just kind of extending it a little bit, right? And I think in the study guide, had I actually sent out the study guide like I was supposed to, my opening paragraph was to think back to when you were in school. And I think I used uh, addition or, or math as an example. When you learn math, the first thing the teacher teaches you is how to count, right? That, that, that's where you start. But then, as you continue to study math, your, your knowledge of math is extended a little bit by a little bit by a little bit. The next thing that you learn is, all right, I can count, but if I take this one orange that I can count, and I can take this other orange that I can count, I have one orange, I have one orange, I put them together, I have two oranges. Extended your knowledge. 
And then you learn, all right, well, if I have two oranges here, and I have two oranges here, and I have two oranges here, I can now do something called multiplication, and I can say I have two groups of three. I have six oranges. My, my understanding of math, again, is it's extended. John chapter 1, in the prologue, Jesus, or excuse me, John is extending our knowledge of who Jesus is at the same time, not quite going yet. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's depth in his statements, but he's going to flesh out what that extension of who Jesus is later. So he just he gives us a little bit of a sampling. Because right now, and you always have to remember, there's a progression in the verses. I know many of you want to go down to John 14 where it says, and the flesh, you know, and, and the word became flesh. We're not there yet. Right now, all we know, which is a lot, is that Jesus was in the beginning and Jesus was God, which, which is a lot to know. But then John says, but there, there's more to that as well. So he writes this in verses uh, 4 through 5, but since they're so short, I'm going to begin at verse 1 and just read down to verse 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When John writes that for us, he's telling us three more truths about Jesus. And the first one is this, that Jesus is creation. Jesus is creation. You cannot escape the parallels of John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1. I mean, you, you can't. And John does that deliberately. And in his opening sentence, you know, we, we saw that he took us, John did, took us to before the in the beginning of the in the beginning of Genesis 1. Now John moves us up really to what we have in Genesis 1 where creation happens. And he says that when creation happens, that we read about in Genesis 1, what we need to know in verse 3 is all things were made through him. Everything that was made was made through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the instrument of creation. That is what the Word does. That is who He is. We saw last week the importance of, of words, right? We, we focus in on that word uh, with. The word was with God, meaning that the, literally the word was toward God, implying that God and the Word, which we understand as Father and Son, are in perfect relationship where the, the Son, the Word, is accomplishing the Father's will. What we see in Genesis 1 and then John 1 as well now is that in the beginning, the Word, Jesus Christ, accomplished God's will of creation. Because when we look very carefully, we see, again, the Word order is important. Look at what it says. All things were made through Him. It does not say that creation is created by the Word, but, but through the Word. And that is strategically important. 
And it is important because, it, again, it informs us that the source of all that there is is the Father. It comes back to the Father. It is there because of Him. Yet in that relationship that exists between the Father and through the Son, the Father created through the Word. He created through Jesus Christ. Because in Genesis 1, God knows the rest of the story. He knows where it is going. And he knows that later on that the word, his word, the instrument of creation, is going to come into creation. And John says, hey, everything that was made was made through him. And we see this in many other passages, but I want to read 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6 for you. He was writing. Hang on, this is a... And he's, he's talking about it in the context of food offered to idols. He says, For although there are many, or all, for although there may be so called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, there's that same word, through whom are all things. And through whom we exist. Right? We exist. We are here. Creation is here because it comes through Jesus Christ. We are here. You are here because He created you. You are created through Jesus Christ. And if there was not the Word, then creation would not be creation, nor would creation be able to. to, to st- Stay. Right? Creation is upheld as well by the Word. Everything that there is. Now, John paints with a broad brush, right? Y- y'all have painted before. You're going to paint a room, right? You want a, a, a four inch brush, you don't want a little bitty brush. Right? You don't want one of the brushes that they give you in third grade to, to watercolor. You want a big brush, right? So John here is, is painting with a broad brush because he just says, all things. That, that's pretty encompassing, right? He, he says, all things. You go to Genesis 1 through 2, it breaks it down a little bit into some categories, right? Light and darkness, dry land and, and water, animals. I mean, still pretty broad categories. Here John just says, Everything, everything, all of it is made through Him. And I think we need to not let that slide too quickly. Right? Because in creation, we see the brilliance and the power of God. A couple weeks ago, Ben was working through finishing up his science class, and the unit was on the solar system. Right, and we talked about the stars and stuff. And so when I was writing this, the, the solar system was in my mind. And uh, all of you know what the Big Dipper is, right? Y'all can all go outside and, and you can find the Big Dipper. Well, the Big Dipper is part of a larger constellation called Ursus Major, which means large bear. All right, so it's it's like the tail, the, the ladle of the Big Dipper is the tail of the bear in, in, in that constellation. So tonight, when you go outside and you look up and and you see the Big Dipper, you're not just seeing seven stars. 
Cults contained in that area of sky where you are looking, there's five different galaxies. There's a nebula. There are stars there that make the sun look unimaginably small. And it is there because the word spoke it and it's there. He put it there. But then the following week, uh, Ben was working on sales. So let's go to the great big, to the real little. Right? And you think about uh, uh, atoms, right? Y'all know atoms. Atoms are the, the building blocks of, 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 of life, of, of everything. Everything has atoms in it. So let's, let's pretend and, and, and take just a, a drop of water, which is about 0, 0.05 milliliters. Within that single drop of water, roughly speaking, because we can't count, there is 5 times 10 to the 21st, which means a 5 followed by 21 zeros of atoms in one drop of water. Universes. I don't even know what the, the mathematical term is for something with 21 zeros. Unimaginably large, where we can't really comprehend the universe. Unimaginably small, where we can't comprehend that many atoms. And it says that every bit of it all was created through the Word. And in case you don't understand that, John repeats himself and says, nothing that was made was, was made without him. So everything you see, everything that is in creation came about because of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that is in creation that does not bear the fingerprints of Christ. Absolutely nothing. That's an amazing statement. Because when we understand that, what we realize is this whole idea of sometime back in, in, in many, many thousands of billions or however many years ago when there was this, uh, this, this sludge just circling on the earth and a lightning bolt randomly hits the sludge and you got to ask yourself, why was there sludge? And out of that sludge crawls something and that something becomes something else, and the something becomes something else, and something else, until, hey, we're here. And you go, well, that just sounds odd. It takes away all the power and the glory and the majesty of Christ as the Creator to say that we, we, did, we came from primordial sludge. Because when He created, the, the, the theological term is ex nihilo. It's from Latin. means out of nothing. There was nothing. Genesis 1, it was dark and void. There was nothing. And God speaks through the Word. And the Word says, let there be light. And there is light. But He didn't take something that already existed and turned it into light. Out of nothing, He created light. Out of nothing, He created the ground. Out of nothing, He created the sky. Out of nothing, he created man. And John is taken to us and goes, look, Jesus is the author of all creation because through him, 
creation came into being. John then continues and says, not only is he creation, he says, he is life. Look at what it says. It, doesn't, it says, in him was life. John is moving, and, and again, think in terms of creation. We had uh, creation, you had the skies, the stars, and, and animals, and you go down through the list of creation. It's not until the, to the end that you get life. You get man. When we think about creation and we think, you know, well, I can create something. Well, we can. But everything that we create is static. All right, as, as beautiful as the church is and the, uh, and the pews are and the pulpit, it, 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 it's static. It's not, it's, it's not alive. It's just inanimate stuff. So why is there life instead of not life? That's a good question to ask, isn't there? Why are we alive and not just, I don't know, whatever we would be if we weren't alive. And I'm not thinking about live in terms of dead, but just no life in us. Why is that? Well, because when, when Jesus created and he comes down to creating us, there's, there's life in us. He puts it in there because he himself is life. The way life exists on this earth is because of Christ. In him is life. Again, we couldn't exist outside of the word. N-O Jesus, N-O life. It, it, is, it is that simple. And when he writes, in him was life, he, he does want us to think about humanity. He wants us to think about ourselves. And at the same time, he hearkens us back to Genesis, right? He goes back to Genesis. We, we, we can't escape it. Because when we go back and read the creation account again, and we go back and we look at it, something is different on that last day of creation. Everything is created. Everything is good. And then we come to, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man... In our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all creation and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man and female, he created them. And then when we get to Genesis chapter 2, when basically the the creation of man is, is extended and expounded upon. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life that he may become a living creature. And when you take those two passages together and you come to John chapter 1, in him all things were created, in him is life, and you start to see the uniqueness of humanity. Right? We can go out here and we can look outside and, and we can look at Pilot Mountain. Beautiful scenery. And we can be awed. And, and, and in that, we, we see the power of God absolutely. But you know what is not in that mountain? The image of God. 
Do you, do you know what, what's not in that mountain? The, the, the breath of God. But then, as you're sitting in here and you look around, and we make eye contact, and I look at you, and, and you look at me, do you know what's in you and what's in me that's not in any other aspect of creation? The image of God. The, the, the breath of life. Each one of us, yes, it may be, it is marred by sin, but each one of us are image bearers of God. We carry with us God's image because He placed it in us. And He breathed into us the breath of life, which then says, all right, now then, we have the ability to know God and to have a relationship with God in a way that the mountains and the trees and the birds do not. Again, go back to the Garden of Eden. God comes in the garden. He, he's walking in His creation. Who is He talking to? Who is He speaking with? Who does He have relationship with? It's with man and woman. It's not with the garden. It's not with the animals placed in the garden. It's not with the trees. It's, it's not with any other part of creation. What he says is, as I have created man in my own image with my breath of life, now man can live and interact with me in a way that no other aspect of creation can do. We can know God. We can walk with God. We can talk to God. We can have this relationship with Him. However, we know then that there's a huge problem. Because we know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. We know about the fall. We know about sin. We don't like to talk about that three-letter word, but we know about sin, and we know that sin has destroyed life. Because before sin, the fall of man, life was perfect. Creation was perfect. Work was perfect. Life with God was perfect. The relationship with God was perfect. It was perfect. And now sin has entered. And that sin leads to, yes, a physical death, but it also leads to a spiritual death. We understand that. The people of John's time understand that. One statistic that has not changed universally since the fall of man is one in one people die. They understood that. And John is going to repeatedly draw our attention to this idea of life. And as he does that, people know, well, I'm going to die. What, 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 what then? So John is going to work on this theme of life, and he's going to define it not by biology, but by spiritual life. Because in Christ is life, literal, physical life, but in Christ is also going to be a new life, a different type of life that only comes through Him. Because only in Him is spiritual life. Right? Matthew writes in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both, body, both soul and body in hell. John's message, John's gospel, is going to tell you how to avoid having your body and your soul destroyed and sent to hell. 
Because Jesus now is going to come again. I know we, everything echoes in our, in our head with John 1.14. The Word becomes flesh. Right? Again, we don't know that yet. But Jesus is going to come in to the, to the world. And when He does, He is going to talk about a new life, about a new type of birth. That is succinctly summed up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is going to say throughout the Gospel, come to Me and I will give you life. Come to Me and I will give you abundant life. And the reason that He can do that is John 1, chapter 3. Because in Him is life. Not just physical life, but much more importantly, spiritual life that through Him, that through Him we may believe and can have a spiritual life where that relationship with God is reconciled and will last beyond our time on this, on this earth. John expands our knowledge of Jesus. He is life. But then finally he says, by the way, Jesus is light. And in this verse, you look in verse 4, he connects life with the light of man. And at the same time, we got to go back to Genesis 1, right? What are the first recorded words of God? Let there be light, and there was light. When we think through about God, and we need to understand, God has always been a revealing God. And God has revealed Himself many ways. He has given light to people so that we can understand who he is. But specifically, you go back to the Old Testament and you read when God's presence was in their midst, his Shekinah glory would shine down. They would know that he was in their midst because God's glory would, would radiate as light throughout the camp. And they could, they, they, they could see it John is saying, Jesus is light. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you mean that, that the light in the Old Testament that, that, gave, that, that provided light for us to, to lead us through the wilderness, that, that resided in the temple, that was in the tabernacle, that when Moses was in his presence lit his face up so much, are you saying that that light now is also in the person of Jesus Christ and that he is the light that's going to reveal things uh, to man that's going to lead the way to God? Are you saying that that... And John's going, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. He is the light of man. He is light. And the light leads us to the life. This is who Jesus is. And he's coming as the light of men. And look at what he's going to do in verse 5. He says, the light shines in darkness. Man, light is, light, light's amazingly powerful, is it not? You can go into a, a, a room. A huge, you, you could come, if we could somehow you know, cover up the windows, turn off all the lights, and just keep all light out where this room was pitch dark, and we went, and, and right in the middle, we just lit one of those candles that, that we use on Thanksgiving Eve and put it right in the middle. That light would dispel the darkness. 
It, it doesn't take much light to drive out the darkness. No matter how dark it is or how small the light is, the light will dispel darkness. John is saying as Jesus comes and he's shining the light, he, he is going with his light going to shine in the darkness and, and dispel the darkness. He's going to, he's going to drive it away. And John says, the darkness has not overcome it. Now that, that word overcome is a much more aggressive word than, than we actually think. It has the connotation of, of, of actively trying to suppress the light. When John writes in, in John 12, 35, he says, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. It's almost like you know, you're walking in the light and behind you is this darkness kind of trying to come up and get you and, and grab you and, and pull you into it. That's what John is saying. He's saying this light is going to try, to, the light is going to drive the darkness away, but the darkness is going to try to fight back. And this present spiritual or present evil age that we live in, the darkness doesn't want man to have the light. Darkness doesn't want humanity to make their way back to God. And darkness, and you can go through this if you want to go through the Old Testament and, and even into the New Testament, look over and over and over and over again where the darkness tried to extinguish the light. The fall. Cain, slaughter, and Abel. The wickedness of Noah, the killing of the Israelites in Egypt, the corruption of, of, of David, the slaughter of the babies when Jesus was born. Jesus nailed to the tree, the crucifixion, were all attempts by the darkness to overcome and extinguish the light. And every time they failed, and every time they would fail. John does something really interesting in verse 5. Says the light, what? What does the light do? Shines. Up until that particular pat, that verse, that verb, have you noticed that every verb that John has used has been in the past tense? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was life. Everything has been past tense, and all of a sudden, John shifts on the light. He doesn't say that the light shone, I think is the past tense of shine. <laughs> but he says the light shines. The light will never be extinguished. The light of the gospel, the light of the truth of who Jesus is will never, ever be extinguished. The darkness will never overcome the light. It will not. And the light is always active. He is always going to be shining into the darkness, drawing people to himself. And he is going to shine forever. The darkness, and we need to understand this, will never win. To such a great extent that when John writes the book of Revelation and he talks about the new heaven and the new earth, 
You remember what he says about light? What's he say? Is there a sun? No. He says we don't need that. Why? Because the light, the true light, who gave light to all men, who called people out of darkness and placed them in heaven with him, the light will be in your midst and you will not need any type of artificial light. Because for all eternity, we will reign and rule and live with the light. And as John introduces these themes that he's going to work on, he he is giving the people of his time a, a word that they need to hear. And it's a word that we need to hear as well. Because as John writes that Jesus is creation, and John writes that Jesus is life, and Jesus is light, what he is putting before people who are living in a spiritually dark time is hope. Every week I plug Sunday school. Here it is. Need to be in Sunday school. Because this morning we were talking about the return of Jesus. And and we were talking about, we got stuck on uh, Matthew 24. What what does it mean by, by generations? As we were discussing that and and. and and talking about it, what we've come to realize, not just in Sunday school this morning, but I think generally, as you go back through and you read Scripture, you see the universal nature of Scripture. Right? It's not that the people of Noah, yes, they were exceedingly wicked, were engaged in any more wickedness than we're engaged in today. You, you can't find a time in history when people weren't wicked. You can't find a time in history, as Jesus is talking about his return, where you can't find wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. Because there's a universal component to it. Relevant to the specific audience, but relevant to us today. If I asked you today, do we live in a time of darkness? You'd raise your hands. If I asked you that 10 years ago, do we live in a time of darkness? You would have raised your hands. If I asked you that 25 years ago, of a preacher preaching 100 years ago, do we live in a time of darkness? People would have raised their hands. We're no, we don't live in, in a time that is darker than any other time. Humanity at our base levels, we are dark people. <laughs> and there is darkness. And John says, the light shines in the darkness so that he can call you out of it. There's hope in that message. That's the message that we need to be proclaiming. Right? The world is not a neutral place. It is always going to come, it, it, it overcome the darkness. It's going to try. It's dark. It's hostile. It's full of death. It's, it's full of darkness. And it makes it sound hopeless. Right? Hopeless about Ukraine. Uh, hopeless about global warming. Hopeless about injustice. Hopeless about the housing market. Hopeless about inflation. Hopeless about gas prices. 
It's just a steady stream of hopelessness. And in the midst of that hopelessness, here is John saying, all is not lost because into the darkness Jesus Christ is going to shine His light. And though the world is darkened by sin, making everything to appear hopeless, when God shines into the world, shines the light into the world, it drives out the darkness so that people can see the hope that even though we are still sinners, Christ is going to die for us. That even in this dark age, we don't have to be defined by the darkness or the hopelessness because God in His great love for us is going to send Jesus into the world that He created. That that He gave life to. That He shines light on. So that people may believe in Him and through Him have life. The spiritual life that will allow people to live eternally basking in the presence of the true light. It's a message of hope that the world desperately needs to hear. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.